We're a Palmer instead <laughs> a Twin Peaks podcast talking about part 13. Oh my goodness, I don't have the title. What story is that, Charlie? What story is that, Charlie? Yes, perfect. That's and we still don't know. Yeah, it's a description. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's not the title. They don't, that doesn't strike me as very Lynch like to just have titles of episodes. Well, the titles are just part. Right. The number. That's, yes. There are no titles. I enjoy the beginning of this episode is very whimsical and charming. It's the zany music playing. Thank you. Fire stick subtitles. Oh, and the Mitchell brothers and Pink Ladies. Twin Peaks, the return with subtitles. You are missing, You're missing everything. So you much. get kind so of much. a hey, this is what's happening next. Right. Happiness. It's true. And go in. I'd be interested (laughs) to, like, look into, are they getting those subtitles about, like, sound cues from the screenplay? Are they getting it? Like, where are they getting it? I don't know, but some of them are ingenious. Right? Some of them are really, like, (laughs) make the scene where I'm like, wow, zany, upbeat music was the perfect way to describe this. Yeah, so the Mitchum brothers in a Congo line with Pink Ladies and Dougie jamboree into lucky seven insurance candy is the most excited she's ever been in life to give these <laughs> gifts to battling bud well, in in a while because she just hit her right her yeah candy seems to be recovered now yeah mm-hmm. um her boss is good yeah it's the really are good everyone's good she really is very like just interesting and nuanced as a character i do just i'm a big candy man. I think she's always interesting. There's always some secret going on behind the eyes. Like she's just nailing it. I just think it's like such a happy, happy scene. And then the other piece we get here is that Tony is hiding behind his desk, of course, because Dougie is alive. And that is a failure on Tony's part. But we're starting to see Tony unravel. He's not really a tough guy. Then Tony gets a call from Duncan Todd. He calls Duncan Todd. Or he calls yeah. Duncan Todd and Duncan says one more First day or something like that. Brody, brooding music. <laughs> right. Brooding music. Thank you. Fire stick. You have one day to remedy this situation. Right. Yes. But I thought you said two. Basically, one day. <laughs> like everybody's passing off the job of killing Dougie. Like everyone's like, you do it. Can we just accept, like, nobody wants to kill Dougie. Just no. deal with it. He's harmless. It's fine. He's That's doing just fine. part of his fine. power. Right. That you, he makes you not want to kill right. him. Which, the right. The power of banality is what he has. He's yeah. just so, like, That's a easy going. Yes. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> no one wants to kill Dougie. It just keeps getting, it's that task that's, like, fifth on everyone's to do. It's like a yellow priority. It's the things that I keep putting off. <laughs> right. And that always go, don't forget On those. that tab, <laughs> on the horizon as I call it. That horizon that never comes. Um, but yeah, it's just not a big priority for anyone killing Dougie, I guess. And then, you know, and somehow, I guess it's a message too on how less is more because Dougie doesn't say anything and manages to get ev- It's very Dow. You know, he's getting, like, everything done without doing anything. Which goes back to this, like, meditation thing that we were talking about outside of this. Because this transcendental meditation is popping up on all of my news feeds. Because of her tie to David Lynch. And when you're in the Lynch-averse, you're into TM. 
where even in some of the Chicago public schools, they're trying meditation for like a study at one of the universities to like watch it. And I was like, so is this where it's just like you take 15 minutes and you just right. take it for yourself and you should get better grades and things. That's what the article Sounds about was right to me. When I Tell me where I'm wrong, David Lynch. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, well, and I think we're seeing that influence hugely in The Return. Right. These transitional yes, scenes yes. have really become something that I've noticed. And there's a lot, even with like, you know, you can kind of set up scenes within any Twin Peaks episode as sort of an A scene and a B scene. You know, there's the scenes that are really plot driving and the scenes that are sort of ambiance background that may someday build something. But like delivery of Sonny Jim's gym set and him like going on the monkey bars, that feels like a transitional scene to me. And they're yeah. always like palate cleansers before a really important before the atmospheric music. Song. Yes, atmospheric. Yeah. That's so the other, I've also taken down all of the subtitles <laughs> of the music that plays. But can I also just go back to the conga line that Candy yes. has gift one, <laughs> two, and gift three, and she yes. makes sure that they're perfectly in the line, and then gives it to Bushnell, right? That's his yes. name. Yes, Bushnell, like the... Battle and Bud Mullins. So he has the Monte Crisco number two, the monogram diamond cufflings, and the keys to his new car. Matching set with Dougie. They both got BMWs. Yeah, it's like a very happy celebratory moment. You know, and that makes me think, like, that's what makes Candy so wonderful at her job. She is extremely meticulous and orderly and also looks amazing in, like, this pink bunny costume. That she's always in. Um, Weird that that sci-fi book that I'm reading, like, Stranger from Another World or whatever, they Mm -hmm. have that same setup where there's, like, three minion girls serving this, like, rich guy. Oh, at his... uh, Yeah, at his, like, mansion. Anyway, weird 1960s sci-fi novel (laughs) reference. Stranger in a Strange Land. Stranger in a Strange Land. There we go. (laughs) Didn't even give the right title. But anyway... um, one moment that happens with the Sunny Jim's gym set, more of the Janie E type fun, is one of the like, I'm seeing Coop, Dougie Coop becoming more lucid in the eyes. Like, there is this wistful sadness that he seems <clears throat> to be seeing when he's looking at Sunny Jim. And it's almost like this sadness of like, I don't get it (laughs) what's happening. And that makes me sad. So it's, he's coming back to lucidity a little bit here. And I love where Janie E says, I love you so much. And he just mouths so much. And it's really impactful because Kyle McLaughlin's the shit. It's really, and she's in seventh heaven, which I just want to bring back for number theory. Yes. Well, because of uh, the subtitles, I feel like he says the whole line. No, he, he right? whispers. No. It's he like it's whisper, so like so, like he so mouth yeah. whispers yeah. very quietly so much. It okay. doesn't say the whole line. It says like dis- indistinctly, mm-hmm. and then you just have to read his lips. Yeah, right, right. and he says it. I, I he, feel with so much sadness and like it's almost like he comes back to his like a realization of his environment, but can't can't express that verbally in the moment 
And that's what you sort of see, and it's really sad to me. I thought that was just a great Kyle McLaughlin moment. I disagree with you in the fact that I think that he's slowly coming to, and now he's not necessarily mimicking everything back. So now it's like a little more cognizant. don't love you. Interesting. Yeah, it could More be. More than, uh, oh, I, I don't, see. Yeah. I don't know if I agree necessarily yet with like his like secret sadness yeah. in the background. I think, I see your point. It is an interesting idea of like, if, you know, what, how is this going to come to a head, which I've always thought would be a good dramatic choice to have, you know, him somehow have kind of parallel realizations of having all Dougie's memories and Special Agent Dale Cooper's memories. So now he kind of has to make a choice between this one life with Janie E and Sonny Jim and then this other life with whether that's Diane or Audrey or nobody or Gordon Cole. <laughs> like, you know. I think that they might be setting that up. Especially yeah. With, like, especially with... Ooh. Oh, we have yeah. watched the next episode, yeah, but we're sorry. trying not to think about it. We'll podcast so really soon. Hard. We know we're behind. We're sorry, guys. We're well, going to get there. hard sometimes. Sometimes things sometimes. get off track, like food poisoning. and Some people get food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, it's Some just people rough. go on vacation. Life is just hard. <laughs> yeah. Which, unfortunately, is why our... Uh, Fourth member, Nate is. <laughs> That's also why I was out, though, too. <laughs> Let's maybe it was the same. Maybe we should stop ordering from the same <clears throat> pizza place. Um, anyway, other things to consider. <laughs> so it is a yeah. I think I think they'd be silly not to bring that into a conflict of some kind, right? You know, there has to be. Some, but he it's still like generic kind of too. So right? It's like, can we be smarter than that? Yeah, like, and we only have so much time. That's the other thing is like we have we could do where with where we are in plot development you could do a full other season I really think so and they can only do so much right you know so actors really know that's where I'm like we won't likely have another season I just I think and as a Twin Peaks fan it's a really strange moment in time because it's it's the one moment in time that's kind of left for you. <laughs> like, once this is over, then there isn't another season. There isn't another probably thing. Probably not going to be another season. Right. We're probably not going to have some, like, reunions yeah. that we want to have. Probably not. Not all the ones Not that in the way that we for. would, yeah, want to. So not in the way that we're hoping for. I mean, even the that's... return is not the same as the original. Of course, you can't exactly yes. capture the feeling of something, so... Although I, I do think it is going a little bit more back. Obviously, it's yes. there's more Twin Peaks scenes more in this Twin Peaks episode. scenes, more well, plot-driven. there's yeah. a lot more circles slowly getting together. Yes. And that's why True. I told exactly, everyone yeah. we need to do a binge watch. Because right. Because we need to catch up on what we might have missed. Yes. Stay tuned for a bonus episode. Yes. What we might have missed that we know now and see the connections something. that were happening in... Episodes two versus episode thirteen. Now that we're almost done with it, mm-hmm. right? Because now that right. we're almost done, we kind of see connections that we didn't see in the beginning. Yes, absolutely. I I really think one of David Lynch's methods of telling the story that's so interesting is just this technique of dropping you in the middle of a story and then letting you expand outward and figure it out. It's such a different way than we're used to being told. 
even when we seemingly get dropped into the middle of a story in a TV show that we think is a very intelligent show, they feed us a lot. They really do. They help us along. They give us clues. They push us in a certain direction. David Lynch just gives you nothing and lets you stumble blind and lets the story unfold as it would if you really did just stumble into a stranger's apartment you know, and really had no context around their life, which is a truly, and the actors are in that headspace too, because he only gives the actors like a page of the script a day. It's a really weird and interesting way to tell a story that if you get hooked into, you kind of don't look at anything else the same, I think. Right. Like, I will never look at Kyle MacLachlan the same. Ugh. He's a genius. So good. He's so good. And <laughs> so other people good. are like, oh, a B actor, whatever. No, he no. is. He can do anything. He's like orphan black girl. Agreed. Yes. I am watching him, and it is a completely different character. It's bad so, coop. It's totally bad coop. Ugh. Bad coop. Why are your eyes so dark? Bad coop. So speaking of bad coop, great oh. scene with bad coop at the farm with evil coop Ray and I call them the rockabillies. Melissa calls <laughs> them the weird Irish. Gang? Yeah, they the, feel very IRA. They do. They're very white. They're very pale. That's right. Oh, they're like neo Nazi, like white. Yeah. Oh, well, because we're in like Montana. Yeah, we're but in also Montana. The so. Ray's shirt in this scene of like fashion moment. I love that shirt. It's like a red, like Ray is dressed like a like yeah, a rockabilly, very rockabilly guy. guy. Yeah, he is. And Ray, he's I like, think, is like he's a, like the Mississippi guys, uh, or the what are they called? The um, the From band. episode three, the band. Oh, uh, oh, um, who's, the yeah. Sing the Mississippi uh, Yeah, the oh Miss- God, that's such a good song. He does, like, fit yeah. right. He fits in with Right that. in with that band. Like and the then the neo-Nazi the, thing yeah. is Muddy, who's just Muddy, tall, yeah. white. We think he either has alpecia or Kelly thinks that he's an albino. Probably. One way or the other. <laughs> Where right. Is. Muddy is amazing. <laughs> this is a class I'm also discovering with David Lynch and probably with his actors. You know, I'm thinking that, like, knowing David Lynch's, you know, ties to focusing on the moment and not giving his actors a ton of context, I would imagine you don't really know as an actor if you are a Richard Horn or if you're just random girl in a pie shop. So everyone's endowing their characters with all this, like, backstory and history and, like, these secrets and making it really nuanced, not really knowing for sure where that's going to go. And Melissa and I were just, like, loving on Muddy and creating a (laughs) whole story for Muddy that I think was very there. I think this actor really, like, nailed this little bit part perfectly. And my my theory is that Muddy just, he's got one law in his life, and that law is arm wrestling. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> whoever wins is the boss. That's the boss. It makes complete sense to Muddy that whoever wins at arm wrestling is the boss. And then I like his lazy-eyed, like, minion, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then, like... Melissa, you had a theory about <laughs> Muddy's past. Oh, that he was the one that got beaten 14 mm-hmm. years because Muddy goes into the whole spiel 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 yeah spiel. oh Muddy is yeah, the, the the long-haired guy long-haired right? guy yeah, yeah. Right. no oh think no, of all those Muddy's, men who have tried yeah Muddy's no the gray-haired guy who gives he might the have been the speech. one yeah he might yeah. have been the old boss yeah who's the Rizzo 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 is the bald guy no bald. no guys it's yeah. Renzo Renzo's he's the bald Renzo. guy okay <laughs> 
Hermione Granger says. Um, yeah. Renzo's the bald guy. Muddy is like the old guy. The old guy. He's With the, the lazy eye. He's yeah. the rule yeah. reader. He's like uh, wrestling arm on the table, <laughs> other arm away from the table. Like he you read balls. He cares about one thing, and that's arm wrestling and the purity you of arm ready? wrestling. And I can appreciate that. Muddy <laughs> knows what he believes in. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's been fourteen years. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many people have? Had yeah, this he chance? really asks that question with like this isn't rhetorical <laughs> I want you to answer how many people you think he's really impressed by Renzo like he's really believes well obviously it. everyone in that room yes right and I thought it was a great device <laughs> because you see this group of physically like physically Kyle McLaughlin <laughs> is unmanned you know whatever we believe of his acting prowess and I believe his magical penis whatever just saying but <laughs> There's no way he can defeat all these men twice his size. So the device they come up with is perfect. Where they're like, <laughs> you just have to beat one guy in an arm wrestling contest. And that's totally something we can get behind. And we know that he's going to do it. But the way he does it is interesting. And it's like a cool, dramatic scene. I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he is so confident. Like, yes. It's like... Oh, and to see he's, Ray he, He's not scared of all these men who have guns. No. What is this? Kindergarten? Oh, I yeah. love that line, because that's kind of what you're thinking, too. You're like, arm wrestling? What the fuck? Yeah, like, these is, guys are going to settle this with arm wrestling? This guy was one with Bob for <laughs> right. years. Like, like hey, Ray, remember when you killed that guy? Right. And they're like, well, you didn't kill him that good, but it's like... Didn't kill him that good, right? Remember when you killed this guy? Literally, like, Ray. Yeah. Do we have to replay episode eight for you? Ray, I'll do it. You, you totally were... shot him a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. Got really creeped out because of the zombie ghosts that were attacking him and then ran right. away. And you're like, maybe, what are you talking about, Ray? Maybe he'll be hard to kill again. If he was hard to kill. Yes. Right. He's time. so, like, I mean, kudos maybe. to Ray. He is so nonchalant. When he sees Evil Coop, he's like, oh, I yeah, that guy. I tried to kill him once. As though it was 47 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, literally, he chased you down. Although it is what he said in episode 8 when he drove away. He was like, I think I killed him, but if I didn't, I'll get him at the farm. That's true. Uh, that's so true. That, this is that's where kind of what we're, Villainy 101. Yeah. Listen, villains. <laughs> Just make sure. <laughs> Just villain versus villain. <laughs> right. Yeah, Ray is really confident, but it is great to see. Ray is the first one whose confidence wavers. When Coop starts playing with Renzo, which <laughs> great acting on both sides, like we know they're not really arm wrestling. And the Renzo is turning red and like really efforting. Veins popping out yeah. of his head. And Kyle McLaughlin looks like mm -hmm. just the steeliest, most impenetrable person you ever saw. I mean, it's amazing. And Ray is the first one to start to, like, want to bolt. And I think Renzo says, like, stay put, Ray, or something. Oh, he wants that arm down first before anyone. Right. He's like, get it down. Right, of course. Down. I mean, Ray is so stupid to think yeah. anyone could be the evil coop. <laughs> can I just ask... Pat here because you're the only male. Do people punch each other in the back of the head? Is that oh yeah, thing? that was such a shitty move. Um, like I know that's kind of a dick move, but like, is it something like how does it even work? But when you saw oh, Renzo do that, I've you never, were like, you are so done. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen any guys do that, but I do know Homer 
Isn't that Simpsons cold, did that in our home, in our Simpsons episode. Like cold episodes. cocking someone? Doesn't Why Ed say that? Cold cocking could be when someone's not an looking. Cold cocking. Cold cocking is, is when <laughs> someone's not looking. Cold cocking is going to be my new vocal warm-up. <laughs> cold cocking, cold cocking, cold cocking. Yeah, I guess that it's is a great amazing. phrase to it say. It really gets those glottal stuffs going. He <laughs> did cold cocking. Cold okay, cocking. that's what it was. He cold he did, cocked he did. me. It's very difficult. Try it. It's fun, too. It's a fun thing to say. No, I can barely say it at atmospheric <laughs> music, so... Ominous. Ominous is the one Ominous. that always gets you. It's really hard. There's Ominous so is your kryptonite. Ominous. Ominous. You want to say onomatopoeia for some reason. Ominous. In other sad, tragic moments in this episode, because I did think, first of all, 13, up until 13 was my favorite episode and I thought there were a lot of like really poignantly sad moments that to me really drove this episode the first one being Coop mouthing so much and the second one we knew it was going to happen they had to do this but they had to find some way for us to have like a little grain of sympathy for Richard Horn and so Richard Horn kind of comes into this scene, oh, yeah. and we see then that he must have some tie to this band of rockabillies, <laughs> and he's watching, and you know from looking at his face that he knows Evil Cooper is someone of significance to him. Yeah. I, I won't jump to, like, there's my daddy, but he gets a wistful <laughs> longing of, like, this man is important to me. That is undeniable, right? This I know you're da- pretty no, cool. And Melissa's a doubter, so let's let's hear from Melissa. It's but. true. I'm just thinking about logistics right now. So, like, we saw Rich. I mean, I guess Richard ran away. That's the big thing, right? Richard's was, like on the land. He was doing the drug deal outside of Twin Peaks, right? Like, with weird, not with um, Red, right? Who is dating Shelly, right? Yeah, with his magic drugs. Okay. Yep, and then yep. he drove off, and now he's in Montana. Right. Not necessarily to Irish. Yeah, well, stretch. he drove off after he attempted That's to murder what I was Miriam. Thinking. Like, I was like, so, right. So, what does that drive? Maybe a day or something. So, yeah. Sure, yeah. Probably. So, because if you remember the coordinates on Diane's phone, yeah. it's right. like right there. Yeah. Oh, right. Because they're more towards central. Washington. Yeah, they're all yeah. kind of converging. But, um, the interesting thing then to consider that I haven't really even thought of until now is like, because I took it, what I've enjoyed a lot about Twin Peaks is that you do get these scenes that are just relationship with nothing else. Like, you don't have a context, you don't have a story, but you can watch the relationship unfold. And so with Evil <laughs> Cooper and Richard, in this scene where Richard's watching Evil Cooper, and at one point, Evil Cooper walks out, and it's like a monitor, so we're to think that Evil Cooper can't be, like, making eye contact with Richard, but he certainly seems to be, like, looking at Richard on his way out. Yeah, I mean, so it now it kind of is making me think, do they have a previous relationship? Like, do they know each other? Does How, if he is getting this, like, wistful longing towards him, is it just instinctual, or is it like he knows who this person is for some reason? Um, and so that's where, like, the whole Audrey story that we pivot to later, yeah. you could start to layer in. I don't think so, but maybe. It's right. definitely possible. It's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. Yes. I'm just saying there is something there. Whether it's just the right. instinctual, 
Oh, I'm so, so having fun with that Like guy. the uh, the Liv Tyler, <laughs> Steven Tyler. Like Liv Tyler apparently just saw Steven Tyler at a concert and was like, that's my dad and was so convicted about it and like talked to her mom, found out it was true and like found him through just <laughs> sheer force. Like, you are my dad. I mean, she like, got that, like could be that thing. all his best qualities. <laughs> she did. Yeah. She's the like, oh, I'm looking and... in the mirror and I look gorgeous, like a gorgeous version of you. <laughs> right. You're really ugly, but uh, so it could be that it could be like he's features. just like watching Evil Coop's greatest hits and being like, "Man, the way you arm wrestled that <sighs> dude, I just and wish I was you." Punched him in the face and, <laughs> and then killed he him. Died? Yeah, right? Oh, right. he died. How did he punch his nose? Like, Theoretically, his, you can kill uh, someone by face. punching them and shoving their nose yeah, it's into their brain. Oh, uh, it is yeah. possible. I, I mean, yes. They learned it from Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. like from graphically oh. watching it just just now. Just now, yes. <laughs> no, but it is real. You could. I. It is. I don't. I mean, right. yeah. it possibly happened too often, but it. And then it can. So happen. yeah. So who knows happen. what the relationship is? But there is this thing that happens with them, kind of crossing in the night. Right. And then, did we discuss with Ray about all of the stuff that he spewed out before he died? First, oh, I also yes. want to discuss <laughs> that the starting position that Evil Coop said three times. Yes. It's like, let's go back to starting This feels better. Three times. Yeah. And his arm was bent back. That yes. was a great Pat Dowd call. His arm was bent back. Which, of he course. He doesn't like that when his arm is bent back. That's true. I don't have to tell you, listeners, because you're listening to this podcast. But in case you're like, oh, I thought I'd just pop into Twin Peaks. Sometimes my arm's been back. It's part of Lynchiverse in Twin Peaks. It's a Laura Palmer reference Mm -hmm. in the Red Room. We always have to have a Laura Palmer reference in the Red It's true. We do. Well, I always say, how else is she going to have a credit? But then... Her face is everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> so, face. Because the tone her is just like... In the credits. Remember That's how she gets the credit. The funny thing <laughs> is, like, there are... opens with just her face. And that's why she gets every episode, yeah. Like, <laughs> hundreds of years of prom queens since. Not hundreds. But, somehow this is still the only prom queen we give a shit about. It's like, when you're <laughs> an up-and-coming actress, and you're like, do this one picture us mm-hmm. things and then it's like oh I'm prom queen cool then it's like this is the only thing anyone knows you about is this one picture <laughs> it's become weird and culty people just walk around with it I know and the, the ironic <laughs> thing is that Cheryl Lee is such a good actress like she should if she wanted to and maybe she didn't people, but if she wanted people to go to bars and take pictures she should have had a career it might have happened picture. to the three of us <laughs> <laughs> maybe who knows um, just for, oh yeah, so then we get, Ray gives a lot of exposition yeah. before he's finally killed. I love how we don't even need to, like, talk about it, because it's so obvious that Ray is meeting his demise here. But I think in this scene, too, it's, like, so clear that Ray is a dancer of some kind. Like, he's so <laughs> hip-popped, and, like, even as he's kind of slinking towards death, his core muscles are, like, perfectly sucked in, and, like, there's something about Ray that's always so controlled, <laughs> Up until the minute he dies, you think there's a chance he might not, you know. I do like Ray. I Ray like was great. <laughs> Who does, Ray? You did a great job. He you talks. are the rockabilly asshole I would have chased after in college for, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long. You might have done a little bit of stand-up. 
I can, I not very well, but like somewhere in the middle. That's Ray. But yeah, it's Evil Coop gets the coordinates. I love too how Ray's like, why would I ever give that to you? If I do, you'll kill me. Then he gives him the coordinates and Coop kills him. Like, right, yeah. And then we find out, which we've already known, that Philip Jeffries hired to kill him. But I feel like it's more. Yeah. Yeah. It resonated with resonated with me more. <laughs> Ominous. Ominous. <laughs> I've had some wine. <laughs> Ominous. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, because we were just talking with when we inducted Tammy into the Blue Rose Club, the Philip Jeffries there, and then he also discussed. Yeah, there's been a lot of Philip Jeffries talk. There's yeah. been a lot of it Could lately. Could you imagine so like, if you hadn't watched Fire Walk with me, what you'd be thinking right now? Right, like, who the fuck is this? Right. Guy? Could you imagine oh, if it's David... Bowie. It's Bowie. It's Bowie, guys. <laughs> it's Bowie. Could you imagine if David Bowie didn't... If he didn't die, he would have had a part. God, for sure. I gotta imagine he would have just been he floating by a like a head. Part. I know, although, that's really Although they did film, like, they got the log lady before... She passed. Yeah. So That's maybe true. he was never planned. No, know. I think he was planned. Yeah. I think he would have been involved. Oh, oh. And it's really un- they would have found some way to involve him. I mean They already have. Yeah, by mentioning <laughs> him every episode. Yeah. But but I feel like they would have put more into Fire Walk with me too though. But maybe not. Maybe not. What do I know? Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, very little in Firewalk with me as well. But right, it's, and now it's all yeah. like he's been become really a major like, character. We've been like every episode. Philip Jeffries, Philip Jeffries, Philip Jeffries. And then major groups like, are oh, big. Right. Okay. Yeah, and they do really nicely plot it out for us in the last one with like here were the agents who were involved with it. It was Chad Desmond right. and Dale Cooper and Philip Jeffries and Gordon Cole and Albert. And, like, of those people, it's only Gordon Cole and Albert who are still, like, on this plane of existence. So, I mean, they are very clearly making Phil And the theory about that statue at Lucky 7 being Philip Jeffries oh. or some sort of Bowie nod. Yes. Which yeah. they certainly, right. they started this episode with that statue. Mm-hmm. When we we now see that statue, like at least once so episode, often. yeah. So I mean, they're making him a major part. It's you know unfortunate, of course, for the world and existence that Bowie's dead. It's also unfortunate for Twin Peaks. Like right. that would have been really helpful to this story, but it just shows you how David. This is not for the faint of heart. Like. You are in it, or the, you are not. Yeah, it's interesting. Over and over again. <laughs> like, but, like, every episode, it's like, shit, like, how do people watch this without taking notes? I know. Like, yeah, well, so, I mean, yeah, I mean. We're watching it four times. Look at right. ma- Major Briggs. It's true. It's exhausting, quite frankly. <laughs> the actor who played Major Briggs, though, he's been dead for ten years. That's why we don't yeah. see his head. Well, they do so, manage to bring actually his yeah, head he, and gut and yeah, he, many parts of him into so the So you don't know, like... Yeah, there's got to yeah, be enough he, footage of Bowie, Bowie floating around out there that you could string together. somewhere. Literally, yeah. yes. But what yeah. I really loved about that scene is he goes, well, he wanted to kill me because they want something inside. Yes. Something inside is what they want. Right. That they want. Something Which, inside of you. Which is evil Coop. So we think it's Bob, right? It has right. to be what he's referencing. Yeah. And then he pulls up the ring and is like, I was supposed to put this on you and yes. then wait for you to die. 
Ray, you didn't fucking do that. You just let these right. evil. You let the dip place. Yeah, I do have to say Ray is pretty chill, really, up until the end. Like right. Ray just generally seems like he's sort of he was like yeah. just hanging. Right. Always, like he's like, uh, that's well, what makes I him so interesting. interesting I like, I guess. like he tried to run away. He was like, uh, so can we talk about this? And yeah. then he like tried to run away. Yeah, he's just like, like, maybe I could like negotiate. Yeah, and I was saying, I think I remember from Fire Walk with me that Laura wanted to put on the ring because if you put on the ring. You will be killed, but you won't be possessed by Bob. Yeah, for some reason, like, I got that in my head. You can't be possessed if you have the ring on. I will say this: I never it thought seems. I would ever want to see Firewalk with me again. But now I'm gonna have to watch like it. I'm gonna have to fucking watch it again. No, no choice. No choice. They no almost, choice. I would say, if not more than at least equally, draw on Firewalk with oh, me. I that feel like as Twin Peaks, Firewalk with me is like. More the, than the base of all yeah, of this. Yeah, it really is. It's a lot of the Bob, and it's a lot of the where it's all coming from. Yes. It's the mythology. Yes, yes you're right. Yeah. It's the mythology. It's, really it's like not Monster of the Week if we're talking X Files. Right. It's the mythos. Right. Yeah. Yes. We're like the like mill plot that's like Monster of the Week. It all comes back to X Files. This is all Smoking Man. (laughs) And when it's Smoking Man, it's important. Pay attention. Um, Other things, we get the Fuscos, just just colorful fun with the Fuscos brothers and their mom calling and just various (laughs) debacles in the police department. Like, we don't need them, but they're fun and we like them. That's really Um, all that we need there. Can I just bring it back one more time to uh, the race scene? Because he goes, where's Philip Jeffries? And he says, the Dutchman's. But I looked, and it's not a real place. And then he gets killed, and he's like, I know where it's at. Which has got to be good call, Melissa, that we need to unpack that. Two things. Dutchman is a Bowie reference. Oh. Right? Because there's something about Bowie being like... The Silver Man or something. There's a Bowie reference there for sure. But also it's a Bobby Briggs mythology. Like Papa Briggs made up a story to Bobby Briggs. I would bet you anything that involves like the Dutch man that Bobby's going to know about that he'll be able to unlock. And it's part of that fictional place like the The Rabbit's Palace and things like that. So I think, I'm pretty sure... Listeners, send it in. <laughs> yeah, the we'll Dutchman. I'm pretty sure it's Bowie. It's something Bowie related. But Evil Coop said he knows where the Dutchman yeah. is. So because like Ray's still talking when he's like the Dutchman, but it's not a real man. He and then he kills him. He's like, I know where it's at. Right. And then he shoots him in the face. Interrupts him with murdering him. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Good call. And man. then the ring goes back to the lodge and then we see... Yeah, a lot of plotty stuff happened there, and it's funny how... soul is in the lodgers. Yeah. Right. Um, Which, because, I think, because he had the ring on, that's why he is now, like, just like Laura Palmer, she's in there, too. Yeah, exactly. What is this ring? Will we ever find out? The ring is not. Likely not. I mean, now we know we're so, like, close to the end. But we also know that Dougie has a ring... In the beginning right. of this, and then Philip Jeffries got it somehow when, because remember, that's how Dougie became that orange, the little right. gold blob? Yes. Because he had the ring. 
And it looks Unless like... Unless there's multiple rings, but I feel like there's only Right. One so that was that what I was going to say, is it does look like the type of ring you would get out of a vending machine that is in a little plastic bubble. It's the like, fate of having this start in the 90s. Right. Where you're like, <laughs> is this really the ring? Like, the ring that changes the fate of the world? Yeah, it is. It is. Um... So we learn that Tony is working with a detective, blah, blah, blah. We don't care. Chantal yeah. and Hutch. Oh, he gets a poison from them. Yes, yeah. he gets poison. He gets poison. I do enjoy. And he goes to have coffee with Coop. Yeah, so he's going to kill Dougie, Dougie or going to try to. I do appreciate how they did set up Tony as kind of a Don Draper-esque guy. And they have just you know, cudgeled him down completely. And it's cool to see him crumble so quickly <laughs> when the shit gets real, as it does in the world of Twin Peaks. Like, right. one day you're working at an insurance agency, the next day you're in the fucking Black Lodge. Like, you don't know how it's going to go. So I do appreciate seeing Tony's journey, also because his paranoia just <laughs> causes everything. I mean, he actually probably could have killed Dougie easily had he just gone with his... Yeah. Plan, but just loses confidence. So it's interesting <laughs> to see. Right. I also love, there's a couple little, clo- like, oh, go ahead, Melissa. No, I was just going to say, because he's trying, he was trying to push it off on the brothers, mm-hmm. and the brothers are like, now we love him. Right. This the guy? brothers are so he barely says a word. It's yeah. like, yeah. Because he had a stroke. You yes. know what it makes me think? <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. I, it does seem just like... Just let it roll. Just fucking let it roll. <laughs> right. Well, they got, he got him 30 million bucks. So. That's right. true. That is true, He's but I also... Think in that oversized box or a head? Yeah. Is it, is it Gwen Paltrow's head <laughs> or a cherry pie? Those are our two options. A or B. There's no, <laughs> there's no C. <laughs> I do think, not to get all intense, but I see in Dougie this idea of how we do... We really, and we can't help it, but we just are in our own little worlds day to day, and we do a lot of projecting our own stuff onto other people, and we can really build these full relationships just, like, in our minds. And Dougie is getting the benefit of everyone thinking that he is something that he is not, like he's a vegetable, but everyone projects their own stuff onto him, and it's because he's so quiet and accepting of malleable yes malleable (laughs) that everyone kind of loves it because we all kind of want that we're like weirdly like if you think about it wouldn't you kind of love a Dougie around just like some unjudging unflinching person who's just observing and listening that's like uh in in new girl nick's friend tan yes Exactly. The, the like, it's like, oh, Tan, you're so wise. Yeah. He's, like, not saying anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just like him. It is an interesting commentary <laughs> on, like, what we really want in relationships. I would really want someone to speak and not be a stroke victim. Come on. <laughs> I mean, now Jeannie is even letting Dougie's, she's just like, oh, Dougie, you hate getting out of this car, so right. let me just push you out. Oh, because at so least she's getting laid now. Like, right. you can tell and from she that she has this new BMW. She has yeah, a new car, a lot of money. Fuck this, all right. She's like, I'm getting laid. You look like Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> and I have a BMW. So life is fine with me. You do what you... You do you, Dougie. You do you. And then, like, Tony just watched 
watches Dougie run into a glass door and then bounce back being like... And thinks it's like some brilliant Machiavellian scheme. He's like, what is he planning? It's like, no, he's just literally locked into a door. Like, you can't fucking open the door. It is fascinating. Because it's a pull door. Right. (laughs) It would be an amazing experiment. And I'm not saying any of us are going to do it. But to see how long you could go at work doing nothing before you got caught. I feel like it could be about two and a half weeks. I mean, honestly, it depends on what you mean by nothing. Like Does literally nothing. No, I think I couldn't do that. Okay, it depends on, on your week. job, probably too, right? Right. Right. Well, yeah. But it's an interesting idea. I could probably do half my work in a week's time. Yeah. Knowing that I work with, listens to this, right. or knows the industry I'm in, but I could probably dig around for half the time, and no one would really notice because I can cover it up pretty well. But like when I was in like a non-talking mood, like one day, like people are like, "Is she okay?" Like that's weird. Well, that's good. That means people are noticing and observing. Right. I think so the if I have a stroke, here, people are yes. gonna be like. Someone should take this girl to the hospital or something. I mean, is she I think, okay? Like, what's wrong? I think the message that I see with Dougie is, like, we do live in these worlds where we're so alienated from each other that we don't even notice when fellow people that we're close to are having some sort of breakdown. And that is a consistent theme with, like, Dougie and Candy and Audrey with, like, Something's wrong. I think it's as prevalent here in the Midwest because we have this kind of culture of more, how are you doing? I don't are know, you but okay? it's not a genuine how are you doing. It's no, a, but as long as people are like, I'm good, how are you? Right. Instead of like, I'm fine, thanks, how are you? But like, How you? It's like, right. no, I mean, I guess I would pass. No, you would totally. There are people in my company that I've never heard speak. And, like, I pass them day after day after day, and they're just kind of silent. And that's just them. And That's true. We have a whole floor of those people. Right. I think think you'd be surprised how long you could get away with Dougie behavior and actually have people be like, you know what, champ? There's something about you that really is giving me a can-do spirit. I mean, because he's still showing up to places. He's still, like, going to his meetings and, like... Because he's got a great assistant. I guess that's the key is, like, have a great assistant. Right. But, like, he's still showing up places. He's just not contributing at all. But his silence seems like reverential silence right. to other people. But because what he contributed to Bushnell by... Right. By drawing shoots and ladders. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that, well, Dougie like, told me all of this already. Is this actually the story of male privilege? How you can just show up as a zombie, draw shoots and ladders, and get go. the promotion? While the woman is working her ass off and gets nothing? Huh. <laughs> I don't except think so. It's still Given is, the way David Lynch treats Except there's wives, no woman no that way. they're showing. Right, exactly. Yeah, show. there's not necessarily wonderful feminine representation Phil either. Bisbee or yeah, Phil Bisbee is like the shining example of <laughs> the one employee you definitely want. You're like, get me seven Phil Bisbees and I'll right. take over the world. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, so Tony does try to murder Dougie, Dougie through asking him to coffee and through the magic of dandruff. Dougie. <laughs> That's what I put here too. I thought it was dandruff. I think it's supposed to be like Black Lodge powers of deduction of like there's something I wrong. I thought it was like legit dandruff. I mean, maybe it I was just dandruff. I thought it was dandruff. dandruff too, but 
because he saw it so clearly, I think that was probably... That was like Black Lodge. Uh, it was like right, dandruff yeah. plus Black Lodge power. Because well, he whatever. also just like pokes him and kind of like just pokes his back. And then... Yeah. Right. Tony just... And then we stare at the red chair with the poison coffee in front of it. And it's like... Right. right we get it. I also love how in classic... I mean, this shows how beloved Twin Peaks is that like... Every little speaking role is some brilliant actor or actress. The waitress in this scene. You know, I did a whole IMDb, like... She's awesome. She's so phenomenal. Tunnel. Yeah. She's just a great actress. Of course, we're not going to remember her name because we're those people. But... She was in Grace Point, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, just a phenomenal actress for a very, very small part that really is just a throwaway little part. And does a great job, and it's awesome. And I like, too, how she has, like, the orange uniform, and, like, right. it's, like, the opposite of the double right. R. Yeah, she is, like, a double R. And then... The, and they have cherry pie, too. Yes. Right. It's the cherry pie that draws Ducky in. Apparently, in the life of Special Agent Dale Cooper, <laughs> the most memorable thing is cherry pie <laughs> from Twin Peaks. Pie. That is Things starting to irk me month. just a little bit. Like, I'm like, there's not yeah. one thing in his life that was more meaningful to him. Like, remember when he slept with that wife or right. Annie, Annie or, or Audrey? Audrey. Like, like someone, so someone besides cherry pie. Like, I'm literally insulted for Heather Graham and Sherilyn Fenn right now. Right. So here's my question also with that scene is, as if you were going to poison someone and then they were like, I caught you, would you take the you. coffee and run to the bathroom to dump it out? Or would you just find any plant, trash can? What did he do? He ran, he to, the, ran, he he ran to the bathroom. He ran to the bathroom crying, dumped it in the urinal. That's where a urinal man... Uh, right. Oh yeah, your old man was like so funny. That was great. Don't mind that poor. We're just whining and dining during Twin Peaks. You need but it. I just Listeners, thought it was really it. interesting that he took the coffee, ran away to the bathroom to dump it out because then the right. green old guy's like that bad, huh? Right, which was cute. I, I mean, I just... I was, guess it was just oh, for the... I thought it was just to show how bumbling Tony was, that he just, like, is not meant to be doing these things. Like, But wouldn't you just, like, toss it somewhere? Tony is so out of his mind with stress right now. He just doesn't know where he is or what he's doing. He's, he's Yeah, he's torn, oh, too. Like, yeah. he doesn't want to kill Dougie. Yeah, I actually really came to think that this actor did an awesome job in this episode who played Tony... Because, like, the shift is so... Right? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, it's funny. I, mean, I know that from Celebrity Rehab. I'll, like, know the name oh, of Michael Antkin, but then, like, not an actual <laughs> celebrity. Like, half the time I'm like, am I saying the right Twin Peaks actress? Because, like, sometimes <laughs> Kelly will just drop it like it's no other. I was like, uh, I know this. I know it's so bad. And then she'll finally be like, uh, you know. Oh, oh my god, my coworker <laughs> is doing a Jeopardy game for The Office, and one of the categories is 90s TV, and she came to me for a Twin Peaks question, and she had to water it down, because <laughs> I gave her, like, a, she's like, oh, I was thinking more like, what's the name of the agent? Like, I was ready to go, like, Angelo Baldelamente was the one who, <laughs> like, getting real deep with it. 
does not surprise me. I have casual conversations, and we've been doing this for, I don't know, since February. It's real bad. You don't want to the main detective in Twin Peaks? That's the question. And the answer is Special Agent Dale Cooper. (laughs) And you're like, who played the boy that was Whose son was the original creepy corn boy? (laughs) Who who was the agent who disappeared? Name the following agent did not disappear to the black (laughs) lot. Just give the category of agents. Like, we're cracking up. No one else is laughing. No one else is laughing. Albert or Gordon. Right, exactly. Like, Tammy. Albert. Like, Tammy Preston. What is Albert's last name? I don't even... Oh, I don't even know either. Does he have a last name? Oh, my God. Rosenfeld. Rosenfeld. Yes, Rosenfeld. Oh, my God. I hate you. Rosenflower. Rosenflower. (laughs) I like to imagine Andy and Albert have reconciled now... We haven't seen them together, but I want to see them just, like, hug it out. <laughs> That's one of my goals That's for this episode. That's a good point, because Harry and Albert loved each loved other. Loved each other in the end. In that, the end. That but, was, like, but not the cutest. Nec- I don't know, yeah, but you're right. Not necessarily uh, Andy. Well, as we know, the chain of love goes that there's Cooper, Harry's in love with Cooper, and Albert. Um, Andy's in love with Harry, Harry. and then Albert's in love with Cooper also. Cooper. Everyone loves Cooper. Who doesn't love Everyone Cooper? Everyone loves Cooper. Cooper. And yeah. I'm sorry, I realize I totally effed up your segue about the orange uniform is different than the R&R. It's Going okay. into the R&R. You have learned <laughs> to know me so well that you know my horrible transitions. <laughs> Guys, I don't know if you've picked this up from our past podcast, but I'm a corporate trainer. (laughs) When I say it, I say it like I'm an alcoholic. And one of the top five skills of corporate training are transitions and moderation. I mean, (laughs) you are a very good moderator. (laughs) Moderate. Moderate Um, that shit. Um, Hopefully none of my trainees have ever listened to this podcast because my credibility would be shot or or gained completely. I think that... With those seven weirdos that I want to gain credibility with. Right. You Stone Cold weirdos are the ones that we are podcasting for. So, double R, transition into Shelly. This is a great one. And you you called it, Melissa, once, like, we need a slice of peaks, or we need, like, a little bit of peaksiness. Right. And that's what this scene is. Because it gives us a little... Taste. It's our cleanse. Yeah. It's like... That weird ice cream you're supposed to have before Sorbet. And we've been talking about these transitional scenes, and I think you could make an argument that this one's a transitional scene. Oh, you're right. It totally is. I didn't really realize that until I'm looking at my notes. And I think, in a way, it's weird because I need them. You know, like, watching the series, I realized that my attention span, the way it is in our modern society, like, I need the palette cleanse scenes where like nothing actually happens I maybe get a little shot of character or something ambiance something but then we move on to like right. it's the real plot we're back to the characters we love for just that moment where we're like <gasps> Shelly it's true oh, Shelly and like Norma and Shelly if we were doing a Greek tragedy they would be the chorus like they're the framers they're in the like their plots were never to me like ever they never felt like A-plots, even right. when they were kind of driven to the front. 
Right. But they were like the two observers that are always in the frame, always in the peripheral. Yeah, they were like, never right. like the main. So Double R to us is like a central station of like, let's regather, let's regroup. Nothing crazy is ever going down at the Double R. Right. Because that's always how it was in the original, too. It was like, yeah. oh, there's a log lady with her log. <laughs> And Major Briggs sitting next to each other just right. having some pie. Sticking exactly. Yeah. That's where you're like, Table. quick run into the bathroom, getting some water, whatever, coming back. Because now we're in the heavy shit. Exactly. <laughs> so, and you need it when you're at this consistent pitch of electricity to like use right. a Lynchian term. So we do have this transition. static. And right. I coming. <laughs> gotta some... say, I've been back and forth on Amanda Seafried in this role, but. She just nails it in this scene with Shelly where Shelly mentions, which is so, it's so cute for both of those characters that Becky kind of spills her heart out about like her relationship and this dark shit. And all that Shelly really knows to say is like, come over and I'll get you a big slice of cherry pie. You know, she's just and that gets her. To, and that gets her and she's like, oh God, that sounds so good. Because cherry then, pie is like crap. It is. It's so good. And I just think it's a lovely mother-daughter relationship. It's a sweet, like, womanly moment of honesty. Like, you know how when one of your friends is like, eat this cookie. And I'm like, no. Oh, God. Yep. You know, it's just the greatest, like, girl bonding thing. Yes. And it's like, because Shelly hates her husband anyway, she's like, Becky's like, Steven's been gone for two days. Yeah. And she's like, that's okay. Like, do you want some time? Oh my God. That's what, so good. One of my favorites is I had a friend that went through, we call it the sad weekend when she broke up with one of her friends. And I'm not very good with emotions, but I will feed you liquor and food <laughs> until you explode. So it was just like, all right, well, here's a shot where me and my roommate were like, <laughs> How much money do you have? Because we had just moved to the city. We were early 20-somethings. We're yep. like, all right, well, oh let's, my God. let's go get dollar shots somewhere. Like, oh. how much is this? It's and true. It was just like, here's all of my money. Says. Well, and that is in and a weird way of being good with emotions. You're giving her what she needs in that right. moment. And we're just like, this is what you need. You don't want this shot, but just you're going to take it. Have a have a little redhead slut on me. Right. That was my, remember when we first started dating, that was my shot? The redhead yeah, slut. Yeah, I remember. That was the shot that I took. Um, oh my it's God. It's a delicious It's funny because I now so. am a redhead slut. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, Just I used to be brunette no. and ironically transitioned into Auburn. For someone who makes up <laughs> gingers as much as I do, I spent a lot of but, money trying to look like a ginger. But I feel like Auburns are not gingers. Auburns are a different class. What? Who is that? That's just terrible. Not a, yeah. Guys, we don't really hate gingers. No, Kelly might. <laughs> so. Some of the other ones of us might not. But Kelly is pretty I got bullied in high it. school by a ginger male, and that's the root of this whole thing. That's the true honesty. Oh, yep. Oh, it's true, yes. Just keep the Kevin, you know who you are. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> so... Because he's really, he's really listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, he's in jail. <laughs> Just like Hank Jennings. <laughs> I'd like, I'd yeah. like to think that. Because we also had this conversation previous to oh, podcast. Yeah, where's, where's Hank? Hank? Where's Hank? <laughs> Nobody knows. There are certain characters we just don't worry about. 
But and one character we do worry about is Big Ed. Holy shit. I just am not oh, even ready to get into this. Do we want to jump back to Tony, though? Yes, because we should. We should, for sure. Yeah, so let's... after First, the, there's a Tony. After the palate-cleansing Shelly, it's Tony just crying in Bushnell's office, which is a whiskey, right? Bushnell's a whiskey, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then Bushnell, I love, I love Bushnell. I love his poster of him as the former boxing champion. Mm-hmm. I love that the yeah. brothers know him as Battle and Bud. Right. It's so great. Because then it's just like, oh, then just, Tony just confesses anything. Everything. Confess. No. It takes so right. little. So and he's like, I'm going to confess. And then Dougie's like, confess. And then he's <laughs> yeah. like, I am. I am, I am. Dougie. <laughs> Lay off of me, Dougie. Yeah. It's amazing how it does show me, say less. I guess listeners are like, no shit, Kelly, say less. But, I mean, Dougie says seven words a day and is super successful in his life. No, I had my... (laughs) TV show as One of my work, quote-unquote, mentors, she was a negotiator, and what she would do is she would just sit there, and she's like, you just sit here long enough. They they fill it in. It unnerves you. And then they're like, and then they just kind of, and I have to check myself to do yes. that because I'm one of those that's like, uh, are you okay? Yeah. How can I better accommodate your needs? Yeah, totally. That is interesting. Yes. And I do, th- I do appreciate Tony's story in this episode. I think he does a great job. It's a fascinating way to show us. Basically, from a plot standpoint, not much. I mean, it's just like another person trying to kill Dougie who doesn't. But right. I think that the real piece is just the disconnect between the reality and what Tony's perceiving. And more and more, I'm seeing this piece of like everyone's alienated from each other. Like nobody knows every, other people's experiences. Right. right. And But I also think it's slowly getting to the point where we had Vegas in the beginning and we didn't know who this guy was. Right. And now we know it's Duncan Todd. And Duncan yes. Todd was against Bushnell for some reason. So yes. Tony was... So it's slowly coming, coming together. together. Yeah. Coming right. Together. Our, our Dakota people are going peaks and... How Argentina's related to yeah. all of that. That one's, a, that's one, that one's a temple scratcher, that <laughs> is. But we'll get there. I have no doubts. I mean, I do just, I keep using this, it's the most tired analogy, but it does feel like this tapestry where if you're up close, you're just going to see kind of a blotch of colors. But if you pull away, you're going to see As the big picture. Very good, it's a yeah. full-on Monet. From yes. Up close. It's a big old... From far away, it's fine, but up close, it's a big, a big mess. Or that's yeah. from Clueless. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh I love it. Yes, agreed. I mean, it does feel very deliberate. Where I think there were parts of the original Twin Peaks series that were obviously not cohesive, a little bit haphazard, kind of, and and some of the charm came from just circumstance. This all feels extremely deliberate. Right. right. There's nothing right, yeah. here that's a mistake or like, right. oops, we just added this random thing for funsies. It's all like planned and, right. you know, executed. So I love, I would say one of my highlight scenes of the season is the scene where Bobby comes into the double R and <laughs> is about to eat alone and gets um, uh, waited on by an, a lovely Auburn haired. No, Auburn, not Ginger. Haired waitress. 
Um, he's about to eat alone, and Big Ed says, like, it's no good eating alone. Come eat with him and Norma. Right. And it's it's Ed's first scene that we see him. Right. Uh, Bob does scene, ask scene. if Shelly's around, though. Oh, right. That's yes, he's looking thing. for Shelly, which is sad. In a, so it's right away a which sad Which she was tone. just there. But she, she left. She just left. She had yeah. just That's left. what Norma okay. says. Oh, she's already left. I mean, you get the sense from Bobby and Shelly's relationship to this point that Bobby is not the one who wanted this relationship to end. Yeah. Like, right. he seems to still be in love with yeah. Shelly, and Shelly seems to be moved on. Um, and so you already get this kind of pall of loneliness, and then he gets pulled into Ed and Norma's booth, which just, to me, this idea is on par sadness level. Not on par with but it's extremely sad close to like Sarah Palmer sad well, it's the a idea different, it's a different it's a kind of sad different kind of sad the idea yeah. of Ed and Norma who have loved each other passionately since they were like 16 years old just living in the same town and being and in this perpetual affair that's what Twin Peaks is you can't have the happiness you right. can't have the happy ending Right. Because those are the coordinates. <gasps> Interesting theory. So like, no one like it's like this. Like you can't right because you, can't you think that what is stopping of everything that's happening. Right, just like without you knowing it, it's just except the, there's always Andy and Lucy. That's the only right. Happy. They're the only ones, and it's like they're only happy because they're a little bit dim. Right. Like they the, don't know. Yeah, they enough. don't know any better. I mean, it's really sad to see Bobby and Ed and Norma in a booth together. All three of them are basically alone. I mean, Norma has a boy toy, but we know because we know Norma that it's nothing to her. And like Ed is in love with Norma, Bobby is in love with Shelly. The other thing that makes it like tingingly, achingly sad too is like it to me feels like these actors having a reunion too. And like Bobby's the youngster with like the slightly older actors and they're treating him like a teenager because Ed says something like deputy Briggs and like a way that like my dad would say like counselor Kelly, if I were a counselor Mm -hmm. or something like with a title of like in a joking way, teasing someone that you know and love from childhood. And the whole scene is like dripping with nostalgia aching with like what you don't have and what you're missing and right. I just because this so verifies sad. for us Ugh. as the audience that Ed and Normal did didn't not end up together end up together right it's so so sad right and what astonishes me too I looked up a little bit this actor because I really love him I think he does a great job like Ed has never missed a beat for me like never has there been a scene <laughs> that Ed, Ed has done that I've thought I don't believe that, or, like, he could have done better. You like, bet. I always get him. I always think he's per- pitch he perfect. He Children Under the Stairs, so... Children With under Nadine. The yeah. I know. <laughs> but he hasn't really been in a lot. I feel like he kind of also left acting. He was in Dune. But that was before? That was or, before Twin yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, Kyle McLaughlin was, like, a baby in yeah. Dune. Yeah. Um, so he hasn't really done a whole lot, at least in film. And if this is his, like, coming back, he did it effortlessly and without any, like... I mean, he was brilliant in this episode. Absolutely. And the episode hinged completely on him in the last scene, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, like, 
Ed was the pivotal thing for me in this episode that had to happen and had to be perfect. And he nailed it. I don't see any way he could have been better. Right. And the whole Norma scene annoyed me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. First. There was a lot going on. First thing that annoyed me is we only see Norma in front of notebooks. Which is cool. It's fine. You really love doing accounting. Yes. (laughs) Whatever. But you don't have a computer. It's fine. Second, (laughs) in this episode, I noticed that she even put a little desk lamp. Yeah. In her booth, which also really bothered me. Yeah. And second, like, her business manager, Walter, just pulls out an iPad, shows her some charts, and she's like, I don't know what that is. I know. And it's like, come on, you can try. You can try. Well, okay. You have, three, you have five franchisees. Yes. For Norma's double R. So. True. I think what's going on here. And only three of them are successful. True. Three. Not. Yeah. Three, damn it. Okay, so I think what's going on in that scene, and I totally, totally get you, but I think that, first of all, we have to assume David Lynch has never been in conventional 9-to-5 business. So (laughs) all of his ideas of 9-to-5 business are coming from friends and movies. Like, and that's cool. Like, the executives that he has to meet with. Exactly. So he doesn't totally know what that world is like. And I think what he's trying to make a commentary on is this, like, loss of this small-town innocence and the small businesses because they're trying to turn Norma's into this giant franchise. And she just wants to make things right and do things properly and nutritiously. But the big stores want to come in and turn her into a McDonald's. But it's Yeah, into, like, a scientific... Right. But what I think he inadvertently did... In trying to show, A, he made a choice to make Norma older than the, the guy who's, who she's both sleeping with and is her business partner. He inadvertently made it seem like she was, like, a, a dumb woman compared to, like, a business-savvy man, which I know he did not intend. I think his message was, like, small business being clobbered by, like, Right. technology and AI and like the loss of ingenuity in the small business world. But accidentally by casting the way he did, it gave me a little bit of like, mm, I don't love this and the way it feels because it feels very much like the dumb soft skills woman needs the data hard minded man to tell her how to do it. Or it's just more of small town versus big Right. City. And I think that's what he meant entirely. Right. But I do think the scene could take a slightly, based on just Norma, and you're right, like, she is very old school. She's got, like, an old, like, accounting, like, with a roll machine. Yeah, she yeah, has her, like, weird, like, the pressy press. button. Yeah. And she keeps My saying, like, if you can explain it to me. Yeah. Not, like, a real calculator, but, like, the accounting calculator where right. like, paper comes out of it. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like... I got it's it. the big yeah. one. It's the big one. It looks like a. It register. does feel like they're a step away because when they were saying like you're the face of Norma's, I feel like if we followed that plotline another season, they'd be like recasting the face of Norma's as like a hot young girl. Right. Like it's that kind of progression, which is sad to see, and I think a very, I think it's a totally noble, cool commentary on David Lynch's part. I think it suffers a bit from his lack of knowledge of what corporate America is like actually like. And 
But side note, I really hope Shelly got in on this franchise business. Yeah. I know. And that would maybe help a little bit, but not just be a waste. Well, you gotta you feel like. Seen her house yet. But you gotta feel like Norma's a little bit gotta be screwed too. I mean, she's still wearing the little uniform and a cardigan and she like. probably is. Like, that guy is probably taking Swindling her. Yeah, Only three out of the five are making a profit. It disorder. is really sad so, that, yeah. like, if you saw an age difference like that, reverse gender was like an older man, younger woman, you wouldn't balk. But the way we've seen it, I'm like, what does he want from her? What's he trying to get? Like, I don't believe it as, like, a genuine relationship, which is terrible. But that's just kind of the way that we're programmed in the world. It sucks. But then we get into Nadine and Dr. Anne, which is one of your favorites. I do think, (laughs) and I think it might be a transitional scene. I don't know if it's, like, a plot line that really matter matters to the plot. Doubt it, yeah, right. But I think it's the loveliest, sweetest scene. And like these two people belong together. Like there is this is a perfect couple, Nadine and Jacoby. They're so cute with just like glee realizing each other as mutual fans. I love to Jacoby doing um like, I call it mentionitis when you have a crush on someone and you just kind of mention them in casual conversation a lot. Oh. This happened a lot when my dad was dating. <laughs> I was single and pathetic in high school and, like, waiting up for my dad. But he'd, like, start mentioning some girl in conversation and the next thing you knew, they were, like, dating. And I was like, oh, mentionitis is when you start, like, casually mentioning someone and then they become, like, important and Jacoby's like I remember when you were in the grocery store picking up potatoes and he like remembers in detail this interaction because years ago he had a big crush on her every time we do a number we'll just whisper it Um, he had a big crush on her it was super cute super cute love Jacoby and Nadine I just think it's perfect I don't know I'm I like the weird thing is like Nadine and Ed just just be or be like besties who live together and see other people like that's okay too I get that you guys like each other and you have a good cohabitation situation fairness, we don't know that we they're don't know technically if we don't know together. If they're together that's true yeah. yeah we know that both Ned and Nadine have wedding rings right on. right that's true that's fair but we don't know that we don't know we assume because right. of how Twin Peaks ended right who knows? It's true. We don't know for sure. Yeah. So, just great scene. Wish them nothing but the best. Uh, then again, I loved Mike and Nadine. Maybe I just love Nadine. I think she's just delightful. She kind of is. She, she is. grows she's, on you. She <laughs> does, doesn't she? I told Season you she one, would. You're like, Whatever. You were like not having it. I'm like, she's going to grow well, on you. She's a 17-year-old in a 40-year-old oh, body. Oh, she's fun like, as hell. Yeah. She's so you're like, fun. I get it. This. <laughs> this is oh, understanding. You want a neck, Mike? Like, she's so wonderful. Love Nadine. She's great. Um, then we get a very less jubilant scene with oh, Mrs. Palmer. Yeah, and Melissa, you mentioned the threading together of these Mrs. Palmer scenes actually does make sense in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Which is why, like, again, we'll have a super special where it's just we binge watch everything and we try and tie everything together because... I was looking at some of these scenes and I was like, I was Googling someone else that we'll talk about. And I was like, oh, they were in episode three? I was like, I'm going to have to go back and just 
fast forward to that scene and like rewatch it, I was like, shit, there's so much going on right here that we just kind of was like, oh, I don't know, there's Shelly, yay, in jeans, what? But then there's all these other little hints. So many. From the very start. From the very did we get confirmation start. that Billy is referenced in that double R scene? Or did I make that up? I feel like I might have had a dream about that. And that I might don't not know. Have been true. I didn't, I didn't okay. really we'll have to We'll have to look that I just up. watched the bar scene again. like Because I was like, as I was watching, I was like, shit, we're going to have to do like marathon. Right. And that's where it's, it's a different path. way. Of, <laughs> it's going to be us and... 15 hours? Yeah, Melissa texted me and was like, that will mean we'll have to spend like 15 hours together. And I was like, oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> what a terrible day for me. I know. <laughs> Wearing yeah, matching pajamas. Yeah, you in and out. <laughs> well, obviously, it's Did, like a sleepover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right. Also uh, I'm like, are we wearing like mud masks? I'm on board. I'm on board. Pat's curling your hair. that makes you look like a panda. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Pandas are the cutest, but also one of the meanest animals. Pandas are? Pandas are giant pandas. Not red pandas. Red pandas are sweethearts. But giant pandas are assholes. I've seen giant pandas in a zoo in Yeah, Don't be fooled by their cuteness. When I was in China, actually, it was the saddest zoo I've ever been to. China. Yes. It was, <laughs> it was doing the Trump pronunciation. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. 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 <laughs> I want our podcast to live outside of Trumpian oh, era sorry, and just sorry. like exist yeah. in a world beyond Trump. Um, so, Mrs. Palmer <laughs> watching wrestling shows on a loop, which. With a, a, fi- it's a 10 boxing. to 15 It's a boxing, a boxing to 15 match. 15 second loop. You yeah, know what it's, and then they're static every time. Yes. Yeah. And they really cue you. It's like you know you're a Pavlovian dog in an experiment because it's like tick, 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 and then the wrestling happens. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then like, tick, <laughs> like you yeah. like are just totally programmed by this. Again. And you know what's weird? So now no. it's a real bunch yeah. of match. Now it's a match. Right. <laughs> Through trickeries of fast forwarding and back and <laughs> rewinding. There we go. <laughs> Backwardsing is not a word. Um, it like looped the now it's a real boxing match onto Audrey's scene, and yeah. I was like, <gasps> like she was oh watching. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. As a so obviously this is a transitional scene, but the transition is this boxing match between Audrey and herself. So let's Ooh. are we ready? Yeah, let's are we finished with this Palmer? Or Audrey and herself. We've got to talk about it, Pat. You and I yeah, are not yeah. in agreement on this. Side Melissa down. has already seen me and Pat, like, almost come to blows about Audrey <laughs> disagreements tonight. Yeah. So we're going to all just take a Super deep breath and just understand that there might be differing <laughs> viewpoints on the Audrey scene. My only Sarah Palmer scene, so it's a really sad scene, but she runs out of vodka. Then she gets up slowly. Very slowly. Everything's fucking slow. Yes. Goes into a different room, comes back with just a flask of vodka, and just pours a splash. It's like, why did you even bother? Right. Oh, because she probably has, like, legit I think she has, like, little stashes everywhere, and it's just, like, not even remembering where they are. Which I didn't get until this time. I was like, oh, we're really at that level of, like... And also, her whole room has mirrors everywhere, which is never good. 
but the really the the transition between this scene and the Audrey scene is very well done. Like it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And there's a well-placed mirror in the Audrey scene as well. So first thing I notice in this Audrey scene, even though we've picked up exactly where we left off in the last episode with this continuing conversation between Says she Audrey does not have her coat on. And they're in a different room yes. and he's on a different chair which He's in a real. chair that's a red chair, and it's much more couchy. Yeah. Um, she is at a higher level of intensity and disorientation than she was the last scene that we saw her, which the last scene was Charlie got the call from Tina and received some, some news that he wouldn't share with Audrey. And Audrey's trying to get it out of him in this exchange. What I noticed in this exchange is that she is extremely disoriented, which... You know, we we see right away what I think is so interesting about having, like, no context and no plot points that we know. The only things we know, we know Audrey, and we know the Roadhouse. Well, could I I talk about the next episode, though? No. Okay, then I can't defend my my thought on that. Well, because Pat thinks that something that we heard in the last episode is what's happening. Well, why don't we do this? It only stands okay. to reason, because why would Tina know about Richard? Okay, She let's would just know say, about Billy, time and out, Billy time is out. the one who ran into her house. Listeners, if you haven't watched 14, stop listening now. <laughs> we'll give you three seconds of us going... Or James Hurley just singing that one song. Just Okay, if you're still listening, then you're getting fucking spoilers. Pat, you may defend your honor. Okay. So I think we'll also hear this in the next episode. That's true. I think that Charlie told Audrey about Billy running into the kitchen bleeding from his face. Which is the story we hear in episode 14. From Tina's daughter. Fair. From Tina's daughter. Certainly Which only impossible. makes sense because why would Tina... Because Tina's... You know, they experience that. They don't know about Richard running over a kid. Why would she know about that? Fair. Fair point. <laughs> Certainly possible. Certainly possible. I'm going to throw out a theory just to float it out. It might be 100% bullshit. But I think there is a chance that Audrey is actually in a mental institution right now of some kind. It's a stretch, but follow me along here. Because if not in a mental institution, you have to give me that there is something clinical about her relationship with Charlie. Right. Right? Like, it's not, he is a caregiver, not a husband. Right. And that, to me, is very clear. But I think that there's also some kind of power that Charlie holds over Audrey in some way that's above, that's different than a caregiver because it's more sinister. It's more, there's more of a darkness to it because when... It's more sinister. Right. Well, he... She had to make some sort of deal with him in order she to had a, get which out we know from And the I last question episode. if it wasn't yeah. her deal, if it was Ben's deal, and that's what the rift is. Like, I think that 
Ben brokered with Charlie for this whatever this deal is to. Oh, how could that be? But though? I don't I mean, know. It could. I mean, maybe, I'm it not saying be, for sure, but Audrey was a hot young thing, and Charlie was Charlie, a business so partner or whatever. He's like, I'm going to. But there's something sinister. I agree with your how they interact is more. He's trying to like care caregiver. For but he also says thing because when she goes into a rant about I feel like I'm someone else. Yes. Like I'm somewhere else. I'm somebody else. I'm not right. me. Don't you ever feel like that? And, and he says, like, "No. What are you talking about?" Right. And then he's like, "Stop playing games or I will end your, your story. Your story. I'll end your story." Which sounds kind of sinister and like right. dark. That's weird, yeah. Well, that and then she's like, "What story that. is that?" The story the of the little, little girl, girl who lived down the lane. Which I assume that maybe he was a neighbor that right. she was knocked up. Maybe she was a knocked up kid. Yeah. Assuming that Richard is. I mean, her we child. Ha- I, Melissa. We have to until Lynch. Gets until that we me. prove that it's not true. I'm right not. now, the further evidence would conclude that Richard <laughs> is her child. Yeah, but until Lynch puts it on a small okay. red platter for me with <laughs> big number three on top of it. Oh my god, <laughs> David Lynch! It will be the day of days when me and Melissa get to one of us gloat <laughs> over this situation. Yeah, but, you, but I'm still. Not not fully convinced. I mean, I certainly Only recognize eight. that I am holding the more popular stance, but at <laughs> this point, it feels irrefutable to me. Like, it just seems like it's... I mean, I can't see it any other and there's, way. Who else could this person possibly be parented by? But... I Audrey, do agree Audrey that being in a mental hospital. Maybe not be. a mental she hospital. Could, no, I, but, I, she could be. But there's a couple be. clues. Okay, I just want to float this theory oh, because... Sorry. Remember when I floated the theory about doppelganger Coop and good Coop being in the Black Lodge for 25 years and I was right? So, so she says, this is like Ghostwood. That's clue number two. Number one's a different one, which I'm going to... Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to go in linear order, apparently. <laughs> like it is. Put the, all the plot points in there. She, number 14. She, she's like, this is like Ghostwood. And I like to think, because we know that Ghostwood was the plot of land that was super contested between Catherine and Ben. And it, that's where the owls were, right? Right. Yes, we don't know who ended so up winning. So I end. think, so it was oh, turned into like... Ghostwood Memorial Mental Institution. And and she was there recovering for a while from her coma and trying to remember. She says, I feel like I'm somewhere. I feel like I'm somewhere else and I'm somebody else. So that's kind of. And he says, this is existential crisis 101. So he calls it out in clinical psychological terms, which is where I'm like, he is a psychiatrist. Maybe he's not her psychiatrist, but he is a psychiatrist. And that, to me, is very clear in this episode. And then... It could be, yeah. Yeah. She... The big one is that she says, I want to stay and I want to go. Which, to me, is like... Because he's saying, you seemed like you wanted to go. Now it seems like you want to stay about going to the roadhouse. But obviously, the roadhouse has taken on this deeper meaning to her about, like moving on to some sort of understanding or going somewhere because the roadhouse for us is North right now. Like that's the only thing we know the roadhouse and we know Audrey. We don't know any of these other people. We know that Audrey would know where the roadhouse is. 
So our right. Audrey, not knowing where the roadhouse is, gives us the one clue that we need about Audrey, which is she doesn't know where the roadhouse is. Something is wrong but with Charlie her. But Charlie does say, you know where the roadhouse is, Audrey. Like, but then she goes into that rant about, like... Yeah, she's confused. She's having a bad moment. She's disoriented. But my thing, right. my thing that disrupts that is that Charlie is like, well, I'm going to take you to the roadhouse. Like, mm-hmm. I was always going to take you. And then she's like, is it far? Right. She goes from very... Yeah. So you, and then he's like, like, are you on drugs? And that's where he goes with, like, stop playing these games or I'll end right. your story, which is very counterintuitive to... Right. If he's her psychiatrist, he wouldn't right. say that. So, so that's, to yeah. piggyback off of your theory, I think yeah. that maybe he's just like an so, assuming that maybe Audrey was a young pregnant girl. Right, which we can, we can at least agree that the Audrey we are seeing right now is not at the same mental capacity as the Audrey we saw at the end of season two. Correct? Like, Correct. we can agree. Yes. All right. So, we've got so to that, at least. Agreement. I think that, to me, Charlie is a little bit older gent who... Lived on the lane from them growing up, who took Audrey in, but because Audrey had a lot of mental problems, has been through all the psychiatry with her. So he knows the terms like existential crisis. Yes, where he's yeah. like, This, you're having one of these again, right? Because you don't know what's happening, or yeah. because he goes, Are you on? Does he say, are you on drugs? Yes, he says, if I didn't know any better. And it's he's doing that lynchy thing. And this is a Lynch favorite actor. He was in Mulholland Drive as the producer, right? He's the producer who wants them to cast the one girl. Yeah, I think so. Um, Which Melissa and I are going to do. We're committing now. Melissa and I are doing a bonus episode where Melissa watches Mulholland Drive. Like, for sure. We got to do it. Um, it's a must. I feel like it's the closest to Twin Peaks universe. I tried. I tried back in the day because it was having such But you wouldn't under, like, back in the day it wouldn't have meant, now it will mean something. All these characters are there, like, truly, Duncan Todd, this guy, there's, like, (laughs) peripheral characters that I think are, Naomi Watts' character literally is Janie E. Jane. Like, her, it's a complete transition. Very well. Cardigan to cardigan. From one to the other. Twin set to twin set. Uh, the arm <laughs> twin is peaks in, to the arm is in Mulholland Drive. Oh. The man from another yes, place. Yes, man from another place. It's like so much... Gro- um, Not bubblegum. Lara Del Rio, oh. the singer. Um, oh, yeah. Who was just like the greatest singer. I, yeah. Because I was Googling her. When oh, she my God. She's like, so amazing. good. This singer, like, Rebecca Del Rio. oh no, Rebecca Del Rio. Yeah, it's fourteen that has the really, really good singer. But there was a great singer in fourteen. Um, yeah, it like it all totally ties together. This actor is in Mulholland Drive in another role that's sort of clinical and distant. And I think that's what to me he is so. What's always striking about the two scenes, and again, all we've really got is their relationship with each other. All these other pieces of information are just noise because we don't know who Billy or Tina or anyone is. All we know is here's our beloved Audrey and a stranger in a room together and how are they interacting. And the way they're interacting is that he is at such a lower level of stakes than she is. I mean, she is so... And Sherilyn Fenn is so good. I mean, she's so just... 
overwhelmed with emotion about her confusion, about her disorientation, about what's, what she wants and needs. And he is so calm and detached that it really makes you feel like I, this scene, I was super sad because it was like my beloved, it's like watching no, I agree things about Carrie Fisher dying. You know, <laughs> like it's like your beloved princess of sass being well, I just watched shackled. Her HBO documentary <sighs> so with good. Debbie Reynolds. Oh my god. And I, I put them on the same I level of like, like yesterday. <laughs> like sassy, cool, tough broads. You right. know, and like Audrey is our girl. I mean, she's tough, she's sassy, she never misses a beat. She goes through horrific trauma with a plum. Right. <laughs> you know, like and here she is just Still, she's spraying. Yes, she's spraying. That's the perfect world. It's so sad. Right. No, like, I agree. Because she was this sassy, yeah. like, sexy, like, vixen almost. Yes. But it was... And she looks beautiful. It's nothing to do with aging. Right. Because that would be the easy thing to go to is like, okay, well, anyone with 25 years is going to look a little bit more, whatever, weathered. But right. Sherlyn Fenn looks awesome. It's not that at all. It's, yeah. it's emotional. It's the emotional baggage that she has that she didn't have before. Like, I would almost call Audrey, like, plucky in the first two series. Like, she had this sort of joie de vie. Like, I'm just going to take life by the horns. I'm going to do whatever. Even after she gets, like, kidnapped and almost raped by her dad and addicted to heroin, <laughs> she's got, like, a can-do spirit that right. just goes on. And like, here, Dad, we're going to forget all of that. I'm going to run your business. Right. Which does make you wonder what is worse than that that well, is making I mean, her... It could be argued that eventually that would have came back and haunted her a little more than... That is a good scene, point, right Pat. There, like, PTSD can creep up uh, at any time. But then once she was blown up, I mean, that, that sealed right. deal, and who knows what else shit she's been through in 25 years. Right. I do think they would be fools to not take, like, when when they said Sherlyn Ben was going to be in the return, I was like, oh, are they disregarding that she got blown up completely? I like, I think they have to put it into the tapestry of her character. They can't just ignore which she got blown up. Which they didn't. Right, which they yeah. didn't. So she was in ICU. Yeah. So in now, a coma. Right. There has been a cause. <laughs> I mean, there has been a cause. I believe her. it when Lynch again presents it in a red. Well, he visited her. We're not saying. I mean, if. Her. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes the truth is just the truth. <laughs> like, That's what do they the say? Truth. What the Freudian saying about, like, sometimes a. Uh, something is just a something like a carrot is just a carrot like sometimes right. it really is the simplest, <laughs> the simplest answer, answer yeah. and like she was in a coma it's they said the cooper answer. visited her she ha- there's a there's a child whose last name is horn mm-hmm. that is ben's grandson that has Sherilyn fence eyes and eyebrows <laughs> who else could he possibly belong to like, I, I just am curious. So many other people. So many other people. 25 years has passed. <laughs> this kid could be many 23. <laughs> so oh my goodness. Know. We don't know until... You cracked. <laughs> till Lynch tells I guess we so. don't know. And I mean, to quote Eamon Farron himself, 
don't assume anything. As he said in his Vulture interview, Yeah. don't assume anything. And I trust, I mean, I do trust that I don't trust something in the Lynchiverse that feels totally certain. So, I, yeah, maybe he is, maybe he's not Evil Coop's son, but... He's got he, to be Audrey's but, kid. But he's Audrey's kid, and could, Audrey's and, kid is still drawn to Evil Coop. For some right, reason. because Audrey's drawn to Evil Coop. Right. Or to Coop's. Or Coop, to yeah. Coop. Plural. To all, all the coops. All the coops. Who's not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's a very... I mean, I'm... I do... And then they also... They gave us the Richard Cooper lingering, like, you must be my daddy stare, which is a very specific stare. <laughs> or it could be like, I'm forcing you to watch this. Right. I do, I think... Eamon Farron is one of the most interesting and creative casting choices because he is, he's very handsome and appealing looking, but he is not a tough guy. Like, certainly not someone you'd think would be... He looks like a rabbit? He really looks like a rabbit. Like, I always think he's about to turn into a rabbit. Right. It's weird. something of his face... His cranium... Yeah. Is like about to shape into ears. How his nose looks straight on. So perfectly straight. Yeah. Looks and his, very funny. Like, his eyes and eyebrows rabbit. could not be more Sherilyn Fenn. I mean, that's a gift from the casting gods of just like, congratulations, here's a kid who fucking <laughs> looks just like Sherilyn Fenn. Or Do any of the horns. <laughs> right. Like, but like. They have this eyebrow thing where they're, like, triangular. You know, they, like, go out and go back in in a totally triangular way that, like, only those horns have. And he totally has it. Congratulations that you found this actor. Like, he's perfect. I love it. And if he's not, it's a great decoy. Like, it's a perfect just fuck with you decoy. And I love it. I love being decoyed. I like being confused. Um... Last thing we have to talk about, we've put it off to last. Oh, well, two things, really. Um, James. Let's just do the big ad. So, yeah. I want to talk about James. James, that's like, I'm ready for bed. (laughs) James Hurley at the Bang Bang Bar. I was like, oh, wait, who's the Bang Bang Bar act in this episode? Duh, it's James. Singing his classic hit, Just You, Just Me. That one song. (laughs) That's what I put in that one song. With faux Donna and faux Maddie. And Melissa and I were both, like, giving a shout-out to faux Maddie. She nailed it. I don't want to be a hater, but I feel like you can see that faux Maddie was a diehard Twin Peaks fan who endowed her character with all this, like, Cheryl Lee stuff. And faux Donna, like, her parent was a producer, and she was there hanging out for the day and got, like put in this thing by mistake like and happen to be brunette faux maddie you rocked it loved your fake lashes loved your hair thought the whole thing totally worked like she made that scene for me it's true and then i got hypnotized by the girl from gossip girl renee Mm. Um, she was in gossip girl first she's drinking wine james is the one who cries right and i'm like my note is girl with four r's that song Girl. ain't about you. <laughs> that song's about Donnie. Donnie? Donna. <laughs> Maybe Donna. 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 Maddie. Laura. <laughs> Evelyn. Donna Could McDonough. Be... 
We could have done so many There's always manana. Oh, we never so, thought we'd bring back. I mean, it could be like... <laughs> diehard fans are like, <laughs> they did it. <laughs> but she also has a rose tattoo. And she does. She has a rose tattoo. 7663. 7663. David Lynch, are you feeling lazy? Because you are literally tattooing numbers on people. I feel like he's really just trying to make Throw you... Throw us like, off. I think it's more like, pay attention to this. Right. Because not everyone's like us taking no, notes. No, it's true. And watching these episodes three times. The few people <laughs> I have talked to about this who are like casual watchers, I'm like, threes, am I right? And they're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm like, well, the big thing is like, threes, whatever. <laughs> like, threes? Are you kidding me? But like... We go for it. We go no. for it here. Sevens and threes, man. I mean, it's either divisible by three or it's a seven, which is a classic example here. Seven, six, six, three. Come on. Yeah. I'm no mathematician, as is evidenced by the fact that my degree is in musical theater. And the last time I took math was junior year of high school. So you didn't have to take any math in college? No. My like, uh, like, guidance counselor literally was like, this girl doesn't need it. It's not helping. Let's just transition out of that. I didn't take math in college. I got to take Psych 101 as my science course. Musical theater, guys. You can get a bachelor's and tap, dance, and smile. I mean, I have a bachelor of science, so that's... I mean, I I don't want to make it sound dumb because I use that degree every day. I memorize lines. I deliver lines. Like, it's 100%. And I have a double degree, and my one degree was like... You have to take these elementary statistics. And I was like, but I'm a business major, so I took this quantitative method statistics. They're like, nah. Right. you got to take these elementary statistics. <laughs> and I literally was, like, sleeping in the class, and then the professor would be like, you, because it was an interim, and this was before cell phones, like, was a thing, uh-huh. so I would take notes of everything that was happening around me, like, 742. Blue-eyed guy just got up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and then my teacher would be like, go to the board and do the problem. I'm like, here. I'm like, I took this already, but you're making me oh take it God. again. Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah. that's my math story right. from So college. we know that my math skills are, like, not the highest, but I know when things are divisible by three David Lynch. <laughs> it's true. And sixes are... And then a seven is lucky seven insurance. Number three is rife throughout this episode. We know threes are good. Fifteens are bad. Twos are questionable. But we definitely know threes are good. So so this woman, Renee, is probably good. She's got, like, all the signs of goodness with her seven, six, six, three on her tattoo. Or she's doomed. And her rose. Two. Yeah, that's true. And she's, she's also just crying. Because she loves James so much, which is so hard to just imagine. Which is, she's the reason why I went to the small spiral, because I was like, where do I know her from again? (laughs) Then I IMDb'd her, and her IMDb page has the episode four on, like, her IMDb page. So I was like, I need to watch this scene again, because wait, (laughs) she's in it. So, and then they were just talking about, like, oh, James is looking at you. And right. to Renee, that's her name. Renee. Yep. And then Shelly's like, James will always be cool. It's like, yeah. he was just in that motorcycle accident that makes him look like that. 
that. <laughs> I know. It's just crazy town. Yeah. He doesn't even look that. He doesn't look bad No, but at have all. you he's noticed? He's skinnier. Here's one thing I've noticed. No? Every time he's no, with. I thought he was Bob when I was looking at the E. Like he looks the a, entertainment little, weekly. a little cancer patient. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's skinnier. <laughs> when men lose weight, normal. they look like cancer patients. That's a weird like, thing with men. They should have like, right. a weird bandana right. on their heads. Like men who lose weight, you're never like, oh, you look awesome. You're like, hey, oh, are you, you okay? okay? <laughs> right. It's so weird. It's a different thing. But yeah, like. Ooh, yeah, it's but I don't strange. see motorcycle accident. No, is what I'm but that's what they're saying. Yeah. Right. That he was in a motorcycle. Uh, but, but I'm not. Yeah, this one. You I don't was, see that. You see more of he might have had some kind of cancer. Illness. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's what it certainly looks Stopped like. Eating. Have you guys noticed was that in the IV? two scenes we've seen him in, he is with someone else who has a plastic glove on their left hand? Yeah. We. Oh, we haven't met a man. No. Yes. But isn't that weird? Oh, I know. That's 14. Fuck. Yeah. Damn it. Because we meet... who else has a plastic glove? No, there was another one. The first character he was hanging with had a plastic glove on his hand, It's the same guy. It was probably the same guy. guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Because I also found that out, but I was going to leave So maybe it was truly on 13. Okay. Because, like, that's why I was, like, texting Kelly, like, we have to, like... I know, it all comes together. Because so much of the stuff that we've seen, because we only have four episodes left after next episode, like... Right. All of it's slowly coming together, so we're missing pieces where, like... Ugh, I know. In episode four, like, we see Red give fingers to Shelly, and she's just, like, smiling and waving, but we don't know who that guy is. Right. No, we... Yeah, and... I still want to know Richard and Linda. Oh, that's we true. We know who Richard is. We don't really know who Linda is. Nope. Oh, that's so true. So that's like another, Linda the giant, so, the very yeah. beginning says, remember Richard and Linda. 430. 430, yes. So the last scene, guys, is tough. <laughs> Your favorite sad scene. It's my favorite sad scene. It made me, Pat knows, I sobbed like hysterically when I first watched oh. this. Which it was like pent up, just I hadn't had a good cry about Twin Peaks, and this just kind of like opened the floodgates for me. It's and in the way they do it too, you see like the bang bang bar, and we kind of get the idea that the bang bang bar is typically the last scene, which sometimes it's not, but most of the time the bang bang bar is the last scene. And then it pans to Big Ed's gas farm, and it's just Big Ed eating a cup of soup by himself. But with a bear with me. That's my favorite. <laughs> uh, bear head. The, like, bear with me. <laughs> loneliness and the devastation of just Ed's situation, being this man, like, this old man alone, without Norma, having his soup alone in the gas station. <laughs> I know. Just At first I thought it was so... ramen, but then I realized it was just R&R <laughs> God, it's the roughest... I thought it was so devastating. I just, I, I thought it was such a devil. Like, I do think there is something to be said for, you know, there's these big dramas, but then there's also these small dramas of everyday life and everyday relationships. And this Ed and Norma relationship to me just is really, really sad that like they've just progressed nowhere in their relationship and that he still is they like longing for her. just can't take leap. Like, yeah, and he just is, he's missing this. And Pat, I put yeah. it to you, like, 
if we lived in the same town, but weren't together and like we're with other people, like it's hard to even imagine like that situation, like how horrible that it's just horrible. (laughs) This idea of repression and just every day you're not getting what you want. It's horrible. So I really think it was a, and I also thought it was a cool reminder that we're like telling this story about Doug Puzz and zombie coal miners and Garmin Bozia, but at the end of the day, a scene with Ed eating soup alone is the thing that's going to make me really sad. Again, it's here's all the mythology, the smoking man, but right. he just really wants to see Scully and Mulder. Yeah, together. that's so true. That's such it's a good point. Pointing. Yeah, all I want is like Mulder and Scully to kiss. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so true. Just like, a simple dance is fine. Ugh. I'm talking about the Rain King episode. Yeah. Yes. For sure. (laughs) Totally. It's true. Like, the little small town relationship moments are just as important as the big mythos moments. I love the way that they intertwine together. And I think that, for me, has to be The Secret's Loss because X-Files and Twin Peaks are, like, my two favorite shows. So, because there's no way that whatever's happening between Norma and Ed has anything to do with whatever no. golden coal the blue rose they are is. totally outside of so, the story they have nothing right. to do with laura palmer and there are right mill plot that's just more entertaining that's true yeah a mill plot was they are a hardcore b plot but <laughs> they're the b plot we love to be a part of <laughs> <laughs> always so yeah we'll see how it goes it's starting to all come together i know Meanwhile, 